2: We've got another exciting Director's Cut special for you this week with author Shannon Garrity. First, you get to listen to the story, one that you folks requested that we do over social media, and that made the finals of the People's Choice Awards the year that we ran it. And then Shannon and I chat through it in part and talk about the story, about comedy, horror, and, you know, hate. Hope you enjoy it. As part of our ongoing relaunch pre-launch campaign, remember, if you haven't yet gone to Drabblecast.org and typed in your email address there where it says, join our mailing list, we want to keep you in the loop. Go ahead and do that. Also, if you have the means and feel like becoming a subscriber or donating to the Drabblecast to help us get to our launch, there are support options there as well. We appreciate y'all so much. Anyways, that's all for now. Enjoy the show.
3: I know my neighbor's dog as a bark, a deep, dark, venomous yawp that begins and ends on a snarl. It's loud, louder than it should be. Earplugs do nothing. It penetrates. Once it starts, it continues relentlessly for a period ranging from one to four hours. It can start at any time, day or night, dropping from the veils of morning to where the cricket sings. Things known to start the dog barking include, but are not limited to, sunrise, sunset, darkness, rain, helicopters, radios, clouds, children's laughter, anyone entering any of the backyards adjoining the yard where my neighbor has penned his dog, garbage collectors, birds, squirrels, and air. The bark of my neighbor's dog is a loathsome bark. It makes the shoulders tense and the flesh Crawl! It is the bark of an animal that wants to hurt you and piss on you and eat your children. It is the sound of hate. Which is how I got this job. The power of hate has been known for a long time. It just took engineers a while to store and channel it. Throughout history, there have been inspiring stories of men and women who survived on hate alone. It is now thought to contain antioxidants and is added to pomegranate juice. Back when I lived in the city, there was a comic book store that had stood on my street for 40 years. Little store, like a closet. Stacked floor to ceiling in piles of yellow newsprint as solid as masonry, run by a guy who looked like an angry mushroom. Sometimes he'd sit in the doorway in a lawn chair all afternoon, refusing to let anyone in. I managed to buy some old Bean World comics from him once. He didn't look pleased. Two doors down identical store slightly smaller piles guy with slightly less eczema it had been running for 35 years this guy was an ex-employee who'd had a falling out with the first guy and opened a rival store to spite him aside from those bean worlds i never saw either of them sell a thing but every time i walked by the stores were still standing in less scientifically advanced times such a phenomena would be a mystery now we know what kept those men in their stores going It's the force that drives everything in this great big beautiful tomorrow. The two comic store guys died within a week of each other, a few years before the invention of the first hate-driven engine. If they'd lived a little longer, their rivalry could have lit half of San Francisco. As for me, I moved out to the East Bay, and behind the back fence waited my destiny. The hairy, slobbering, tirelessly barking focus of my professional-grade hate. When energy companies first started testing people for hate, I shrugged it off. The whole thing seemed so sketchy back then, with those college kids running meters from sidewalk card tables next to the Scientologists. But then, they got a kiosk at the mall with a sleek blue and teal meter and an informational touchscreen, and I started thinking maybe this was a thing. My mother didn't want me to do it. She thought it was morbid. I'd never understood that attitude. People are people are going to hate. I mean, why let it dissipate into the atmosphere when it can be channeled into clean energy? You'd think the hippies would be more into it. That said, very few people can produce industrial-grade hate. Most people can only hate enough to heat a stove or maybe run a car, though I've never seen a hybrid gas hate car that wasn't bum-ugly. For a while, it was trendy for yuppies to install personal odiometers in the house as a green energy thing, like rain barrels, but what do yuppies have to generate hate over? Inferior Oregon wines? It takes a special effort to produce the kind of hate that runs a factory or a block of streetlights. I'm not saying this to stroke my own ego. The first time I went in for testing, I flunked big time. I tried. They hooked me up to the test meter, and I I hated as hard as I could. I thought about... about Nazis. Air pollution. The Twilight books. Bill O'Reilly. Rookie mistake. Political hate is notoriously hard to channel. Er, Calculus. The guy who mugged me the kids who beat me up in 3rd grade the time my mother told me she was relieved my brother didn't turn out like me <laughs> i barely moved the needle back home i fixed leftovers and drowned my disappointment in two-buck chuck while my neighbor's dog barked over the back fence from childhood people had always told me how hate-filled i seemed it was disappointing to discover i wasn't nearly as brimming with it as i thought <laughs> that was what i got for trying to join the big leagues There were people out there, professional haters, who hated on a level to which I could never aspire. People who hated like volcanoes, like suns. I was a dabbler, a Sunday hater. Hell, I was probably more of a lover than a hater, and there wasn't a thing you could power with love. My neighbor's dog kept barking. Probably saw a squirrel or a nitrogen atom or something. The microwave beeped as I shoved the sliding back door open with my shoulder— it was rusted out, and I couldn't afford to fix it. I stumbled into the backyard and hollered, Shut your animal up before I call the cops, you inbred piece of-and then <laughs> I laughed. How could I have been so blind? My neighbor's dog went on barking. I could hear it throwing itself against the fence in a fit, really angry now. The next morning I was at the mall with the dawn. The hate kiosk didn't open for another hour and a half. I got myself an Orange Julius and waited for the college kids to show up and get everything running. I broke the meter. Thousands of people work as professional hate generators, but when you get down to brass tacks, 90% of the industrial hate in North America is provided by the 12 top haters. That's how much of a power differential there is. Some people just hate that much more than everyone else. Did you live in Quebec before you came out here? Chances are your electricity came from Andre Grant, a formal file clerk who hates modernist philosophy, digital recordings, saxophone music, pants on women, and all television. You were somewhere in New England? Well, your generator was probably Emily Jenkins or Jackson, I forget her last name. She's a germaphobe who sits under the odiometer and thinks about dirt all day. Southern states? Gotta be Nate McClintock, an octogenarian who won't share his personal hatreds. Having met him, I think that's for the best, but I have to give the man credit. He hates hard. Large parts of Mexico are powered by two sisters who can't stand onions. And if you lived anywhere along the West Coast, you got your power from me. Me and my hatred of my neighbor's dog. It's a good job if you like to hate, which I do. At first I had an office at the little hate plant near UC Davis. They started me out powering a few townships, then expanded my range... Slowly at first, then faster as I kept filling the tanks. Once I had proven myself capable of powering the entire Bay Area, PGE and H set up a dedicated odiometer and backup storage tanks in my home. The equipment took up most of the spare room, but eh, what the hell, the money was worth it. My neighbor's dog barked its head off throughout the installation. The techs smiled, happy to hear their money being made. My first day hating from home... I filled the backup tanks and caused an overload, shorting out the plant's emergency coolant system. That was the day SF blacked out for 24 hours. Maybe you, uh, remember it from the news. Turned out that with the dog right there where I could hear it keeping the hate fresh, I could hate at levels previously unrecorded. PG-ENH did some retooling, installed additional tanks and coolant equipment in my backyard, and did that ever piss off the dog, and set me up powering California. I was the best in the business. I'm not too modest to say that. As long as my neighbor's dog kept barking, I could hate like a machine. I'd been hating professionally for a couple years when one of the texts handed me a fat manila envelope. Might want to start briefing yourself, he said. Inside the envelope was a dark blue three-ring binder stamped with a yellow rose and starburst. I didn't need to open the binder to find out what was inside. I'd have known that insignia anywhere. The Epsilon Eridani mission. First flight to another star. I'd been following the project for five years, checking on the researchers' blogs and NASA feeds and every news item official and otherwise. Mostly otherwise. It might have been funded largely through donations from billionaire space nerds in Silicon Valley and my occasional 20 bucks, but this wasn't the kind of project with civilian clearance. What I knew at that point was that the mission would take twenty-five years round-trip, a crew of the predictable best and brightest had been selected, and the M&M's people had paid a reportedly obscene amount of money to stock the mess hall with pretzel M&M's. All the project needed was an engine. I was on the short list. The sight of that yellow rose made me so happy. For a few crucial minutes, I failed to hate my neighbor's dog. I got chewed out for that later. Not that it caused any noticeable power shortage—the backup tanks in the spare room were full and humming with power—but by that time, any drop in my output hurt the Dow Jones. Some suits lost some money, I don't know. My mother said it was on the news, like I cared. Epsilon Eridani. I wanted this. I wanted it bad. I'd wanted it ever since I was a kid in my uncle's basement, reading through his nicotine-stained sci-fi paperbacks in Omni magazines. I'd wanted it since my first cross-country drive to see a shuttle launch. It was why I'd tried to major in physics in college, despite mathematical incompetence that became legendary in the department, before washing out and getting a degree in philosophy. Laugh it up, but philosophy helped me discipline and hone my hate, and thanks to that hate, I had a shot at the stars after all. They needed a top-level hater for this. On my first day of NASA training, held in an abandoned ice rink in South Berkeley because I couldn't travel far from home without risking a blackout across the western seaboard, my trainer Muhammad asked me, Can you hate at the speed of light? And he meant it. And I could, friends. I could. My hatred of my neighbor's dog propelled their little model star drives through the donut-shaped vacuum chamber they'd constructed on the ice rink, hitting light speed every time at some point news of the project must have leaked because i started getting letters from fermilab asking me if i was available to make antimatter it was tempting but i had my eye on the prize that ten light-year distant sun and its uncharted worlds mohammed liked my progress he whistled on the job i gathered there were other nasa guys at other slapdash training facilities making much lousier progress with their haters I was in the home stretch, but I didn't let it make me soft. I hated until I was wrung out and gasping, then staggered home to collapse into bed and listen to my neighbor's dog until I passed out from sheer exhaustion. Finally, Muhammad announced it was time to try me in the ship itself. Just a quick test run, he said, Mars and back. Mars and back. I felt a ringing in my ears, and for once it wasn't from the damn barking. All the way home, I tried to script my call to pge and h politely resigning from my position so I could serve my country on the first manned expedition to another star. As it turned out, NASA had already told them, which was a massive relief. I I can't stand confrontation. People tell me it's one of the things that makes me a good hater. The Houston sky was a blinding wall of blue, and the air was like superheated molasses. But the town car waiting at the airport was lined with cool, soft leather. A silent man in a dark gray suit drove me to the launch site. The ship, well, you know what it looked like looming over the airstrip. It was untarnished black and silver then, and in the remorseless sun it blazed. Its name was the Ganges, but no one ever called it anything but the ship. I met the crew. A lot of them said later that they expected me to be angrier. People don't understand the first thing about hate. My pilot for the test flight was Elena. Just sit down under the odiometer, she said, and we'll get our asses to Mars. I hadn't seen an odiometer set up like what they had in the cockpit. It was some NASA model, more black and silver. W- what do I have to do? What you always do. I'm the pilot. I'll take care of the rest. That made sense. I didn't have to fly the thing. I just had to fuel it. That didn't stop me from shaking as I positioned myself under the odiometer. The vast windshield in front of me... A digital screen, really, but I didn't know that at the time. Looked out over the Texas airfield. I shut my eyes and thought of my neighbor's dog. God, I hate that animal. Nothing happened. I hated some more. The floor rattled as the engines purred to life, and purred, and purred. We're at three percent, said Elena. Three percent of what? Ah, I'd never gotten the mechanics of spaceflight. You gotta hate harder than that. I'm hating as hard as I can. I can't hate any harder. Two percent. Come on. Your dossier says you can't stand that dog. It's the worst dog. The barking and the whining and throwing itself against the fence. And it's an ugly bastard. Does the dossier say that? 1.5. The engines shut down. Elena stared at me. I heard you were the best. I am, I said. I, I was it was the distance issue again. In Texas, I was too far away from the dog to work up the hate I could manage on my home turf, and if I had trouble hating the dog while I was in Houston, how much more trouble would I have when I was light years away from Earth? They tried workarounds, a NASA crew set up recording equipment in my backyard, taped hours of the dog barking, then played it back in the cockpit. It didn't work, and the pilots complained about the noise. The crew went back to the neighborhood and filmed the dog from over the fence. That didn't do it for me either. They set up a kennel next to my quarters in the ship. The dogs they got were pretty hateful, but it, it wasn't the same. Muhammad turned analytical. You hate that dog because you can't get away from it. It's right there in the next yard. But this expedition is the ultimate getaway. You know the situations we're setting up are artificial, so you can't work up ahead of rage. That scared me. Was I losing my touch? Would I be unable to go back to work at PG&H, my hatred of my neighbor's dog critically reduced forever? No. No, it couldn't be. I I still hated. it. It was just harder when the source of my hatred wasn't right there. Which was why NASA decided to kidnap my neighbor's dog. It didn't start with kidnapping. They offered money, a lot of money. I listened to Muhammad argue over the phone. He'll be well cared for. We have a kennel in the ship, a big one. Well, no, I understand that, and we sympathize, but this is an issue of national import. Sir, 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 this is a chance to make a sacrifice for your country. No, okay, Uh, how about doing it for science? And we'll buy you a puppy. We went out to Denny's afterward. That is one hard-ass redneck, was all Mohammed would say. Mohammed and I were called into a meeting with tired-looking men in dark suits and military uniforms. They didn't waste time greeting us. Congress has voted to invoke eminent domain for the seizure of the dog, said one of the suits. Do we have your agreement to move forward? Go for it, said Mohammed. At this point, he was sick of the whole thing. J- just let me get this straight, I said. The government is going to steal the dog and install it in the ship next door to me so I can hate it? Everyone nodded. This is a 25-year mission, right? What do we do when we're out in deep space and the dog dies? The current plan, said one of the suits, is for the crew to store enough of your hate while the dog's alive to keep the ship running for the remainder of its mission. It's possible, said Mohammed. You really hate that dog. Also, said one of the military guys, there's talk of a breeding program. Breed that thing? I shouted. The idea of those genes getting passed on. Faces lit up around the table. "'That's right,' said the military guide. "'That's the reaction we're looking for.' The first guy leaned forward. "'Do we have your go-ahead?' So this was it. A clumsy duct-tape solution that could leave me and the rest of the crew, all of America's best and brightest, adrift in deep space with a litter of copies of my neighbor's dog. A plan that could get us to the stars. "'Okay,' I said. "'Let's kidnap the dog.' And we did. I uh, I wasn't there. I spent the whole time in Houston in deep hate training. Mohammed said my neighbor's reaction wasn't pretty, but we got the dog, and we shipped it to Texas. And it might have worked out, if it hadn't been for the airline baggage handler's strike. You all remember that. Every plane in the country was grounded for a month. Somehow, NASA couldn't get a trace on where the crate containing my neighbor's dog had gotten stalled. Mohammed spent his days ranting at people over the phone again, "'Do you have any idea how many billions of dollars are riding on this dog? "'Yes, damn it! you should have put him on Air Force One if that was an option. "'We're grounded without the dog, do you understand this? "'Only one hater can generate the power we need, "'and there's only one thing that hater hates.' "'After these calls, he'd open a bottle of wine—he wasn't a very good Muslim— "'Look at me mournfully and say, "'Cats. Cats are bastards. Can't you get mad at a cat?' Cats are snuggly bundles of love, I'd say, usually after helping him out with the wine. At long last, the strike ended. First thing next morning, a crate showed up on the airstrip, right at the foot of the ship's silver hatch. A small crowd had gathered by the time I got out there. I pushed through. The crate smelled bad. Real bad. Muhammad materialized next to me. NASA killed your neighbor's dog. No, I said, I did. A lot of my crewmates, the ones who were there that morning, have told me they were shocked when I broke down crying on the tarmac. It's like I say, people don't understand hate at all. I took a Greyhound home. The Epsilon Eridani program was over. My hating career was over. Muhammad was making plans to go back to school and get a degree in library science. I slouched around the house in my pajamas, surfing Craigslist for jobs. On the other side of the fence, silence. Two months later, the phone rang. Done moping yet? said Bahamut. Get out here to Houston. What the hell are you talking about? Go to the airport. SFO. There's a flight waiting. No time to waste. The Epsilon program's dead, I frowned. Isn't it? Shows what you know. Ship leaves next week, but only if you're on it. But I can't hate any more. All will become clear. Same town car. Same gray suit guy. Same ship. The crew was in a party mood. Elena slapped me on the back. Come on, she said. We're finally making that test run to Mars. Despite my confusion, I tried to play along. "Uh, Okay, I'll go up to the cockpit. No need. No need. She waltzed away. The ship hummed to life, just as I remembered it doing during my disastrous hours in the cockpit, but this time the purr rose to a roar. As the crew cheered and popped champagne bottles, the ship rose into the air and shot like a silver bullet into the black. I watched Earth shrink to a marble, then disappear through the view screens lining every quarter. Baffled, I accepted a glass of champagne, then another. At last I gave up and staggered to my quarters, the... The little apartment was exactly as I left it. I I lay down in the bed and stared at the ceiling. I'd stuck glow-in-the-dark sticker stars there during a cockier moment of my failed training. Or Or had it failed? At last I got up, determined to find someone on board who would explain this miracle. As it happened, I left my quarters at the same moment the person next door was entering his. He turned and stared at me. Rangy guy. Scraggly beard. Little piggy eyes. T-shirt with an up arrow labeled The Man, and a down arrow labeled The Legend. In all those years, I'd never laid eyes on him. Once in a while, I'd heard his voice, usually yelling when I turned the hose over his fence. I'd never seen him, but I knew him at a glance. He recognized me, too. His eyes narrowed. "'You,' he said. Well, I'd killed his dog." And here we are, exactly twelve and a half years into the mission, speeding toward Epsilon Eridani on my neighbor's hatred of me. I still say I could match him in hate pound for pound in my hating days, but I'm long retired now. And I'd like to apologize for killing his dog, but you know I can't do that without putting the crew in jeopardy. It'd be a disaster if you ever stopped hating me, wouldn't it, Leonard? And now those alien worlds are marbles in the view screen growing bigger. Let's open another bottle of champagne.
2: I'm here with Shannon Garrity, Travelcast uh, author of many delightful stories. Um, this is Flying on the Hatred of My Neighbor's Dog, which uh, several of our listeners on, on Twitter and Facebook and various places uh, demanded, really, I mean, with, with cruelty in their voices that we play and do, do an author interview with as we go through here for the director's cut. Shannon, how are you doing?
0: Doing great. How are you?
2: I am awesome. Thanks so much for taking the time. We had some tech issues that we worked at, and you were really patient.
0: That's a pleasure.
2: Yeah, this story was uh, one of the runners-up for uh, People's Choice Award for the year, and mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, it's just very unique, and uh, happy to do this with you. What are you up to these days?
0: Uh, about the same as ever. I have a daily comic strip called Skin Horse that I draw, and um, I also have been doing a sort of sketch blog this year where I uh, called Horror Every Day, where I find the correct horror movie to watch thematically for each day of the year. <laughs> Wow, And I've got a couple of short stories coming out at a couple of different places, hopefully very soon.
2: That's neat. The idea of the horror story thing is kind of getting to me. That's what, what Today happens to be, what, uh, August 6th. What is today's story? Do you have that yet?
0: Today, well, today, on this day in 1890, the first electrocution by electric chair was performed. Uh, so the movie for today is Wes Craven's Shocker from 1989. Wow. Um, that's one where uh, Mitch Pileggi is a death row prisoner who is electrocuted, but he's a practitioner of black magic. So mm. he, he comes back as like an electrical force ghost. Classic. <laughs> it's pretty amazing.
2: That is awesome. Would you try and go on death row and get yourself off if it meant there was a possibility of coming back as an electrical power ghost?
0: No, no it's a terrible idea. Oh,
2: okay. So listeners at home, don't try this, you know, kids. Yeah,
0: don't try this. There's actually, there's also regular ghosts in the movie who fight the, the electric ghosts. There's a lot going
2: on. Man, I wonder if they take offense to being called regular ghosts. <laughs> like,
0: yeah, they're just like boring, normal ghosts yeah. that shoot rays out of their chest.
2: Standard rays.
0: Yeah, your standard ghost rays and not your electrical powers, yeah. Mm, man,
2: it's a tough life. I always thought of you as more of a um, comedy writer because of your strip and because of the stories that you've submitted, but do you enjoy horror as much or more, or do you see a difference? I,
0: I do enjoy horror, and somehow I've been watching a lot of horror movies lately. This is, this is one of several times that... Um, I just, I watch things when I, I watch movies and TV shows and things while I'm drawing. And then at some point I always have the rational seeming idea that if I did a comic about the things I'm watching, that I'd be doubling my productivity. Huh. So, so um, I do a comic sometimes where I recap episodes of the X-Files cause I was watching the X-Files while I was drawing and scanning artwork. And right now it's horror movies.
2: That's awesome. Did you see the um, Netflix's uh, Gerald's game?
0: Gerald's game I haven't seen yet. It's on my list.
2: Ooh, man. There's a, uh, I'm like, no spoilers, but that is a gruesome, <laughs> difficult thing to watch.
0: Yeah, it's a bad situation.
2: It definitely is. Cool. Well, let's get going here. This is Travelcast uh, 298, Flying on My Hatred to My Neighbor's Dog. I'm here with the author, Shannon Garrity, and we're going to just chat through it.
0: All right. That sounds awesome.
2: I remember uh, Nathan, our uh, editor at the time, insisted we do this story. And he insisted he (laughs) read it. So I I don't know. What did you think about his reading?
0: It's great. They actually, I remember when you um, did the recording, you asked me if, like, somebody asked me if the main character was supposed to be male or female and it's not really specified in the story, but it's a pretty autobiographical story, so I guess I did think of it as, like, basically me. But it could be, it could be
3: anyone, I suppose.
0: <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> the dog
2: include,
3: but not
0: like w. Butler Yeats poem.
2: Oh my, I love Yeats. I didn't it's, catch that. No, though. It's
0: from um, the Lake Isle of Innisfree, which is all about going on a trip to, you know, a, it's all it's it's all about going to live at some place very pleasant and quiet and away from it all.
2: Okay. Which oh. is
0: kind of- situation.
2: Doesn't quite happen in this story.
0: <laughs> so, well, Yates is exaggerating anyway. I think all of industry was in real life place called <laughs> Rat, Rat Island. <laughs> <and> <laughs> because of all the, the rats.
3: It, it,
0: was, it was a bit romanticized. <laughs> <so> I got
3: this <laughs> job. The power of hate has been known for a long time. It just <laughs> took engineers a while to store and channel it. Throughout history, huh? there have been inspiring stories of men and women who survived on hate alone. It is now thought to contain antioxidants and is added to pomegranate juice. Back
2: when I lived, I always have those kind of real life jabs in there. Doesn't it feel more real than ever that hate is what powers the world today?
0: Yeah, that's terrible. I hate it when these stories come true. It's great, more upbeat stories if they're, if they're going to like come true in some deranged form. Uh, yeah, so the story about the, com, the rival comic book stores is, is pretty based on, on a real place, a real couple of places.
2: I figured it had to have been. I was gonna ask you about that. I mean, Identity so you knew two comic book stores that were rivaling.
0: Yeah, yeah, and they'd been around for decades. Wow, are, um,
2: are they still uh, both there or did one of them finally uh, win?
0: They're both, I'm both gone now. It's very sad, but um, it was inspired by actually a-
3: I never saw um, either of them sell a thing. First comic book Everything
0: store, probably the first comic book store, store in the store. country, um, San Francisco Comic Book Company, run by um, a great guy place. called Gary Arlington. Hmm. Um, you know I passed by. Yeah, I think he only let me into the store like twice because sometimes he would just sit in the doorway and not let people in. Oh my gosh,
2: such a typical, such a typical comic store guy that does was, like that. Uh, it
0: was the original, and he was a pretty amazing guy. He did a lot of, like, he published a lot of underground comics, like, back in the 60s and 70s. Um, He's a pretty influential guy. But also, yeah, a bit of a curmudgeon. And he, there was a Spite store, like, two doors down. And, in fact, I, I think... I gathered eventually that, like, a large number of comic stores in the Bay Area were spite stores started by people when who got on Gary Arlington's bad TV side TV for some <laughs> reason. Spite <laughs> the stores. Right There's one that was two doors, right and was not the only one. There were, like, spite stores just sprinkled all over the place.
2: A spite store is a store that just started out of spite?
0: Yeah, yeah, spite stores.
2: <laughs> Literally from hatred it started. Like, it was powered yeah, and engineed by hatred.
0: Hate it, is a <laughs> powerful thing, apparently. She
2: thought it was morbid. I'd never understood that
3: attitude. People are people are going to hate. I mean, why let it dissipate into the atmosphere when it can be channeled into clean energy? You'd think the hippies would be more into it. That said, very few people can produce industrial-grade hate. Most people can only hate enough to heat a stove or maybe run a car, though I've never seen a hybrid gas hate car that wasn't
2: bum-ugly. <laughs> for a while, it was trendy. For yucky. you said this is autobiographical to some extent. Is it? Yeah. So, so you have a lot of hate in your heart, or?
0: <laughs> uh, no, I have it. My neighbor has a dog. I don't like.
2: No kidding. So you are the person, the, your protagonist here.
0: Yeah, no. This, I mean, this was written years ago now, but uh, yeah, there was a dog over uh, the back fence of my yeah my neighborhood that just barked constantly and it drove me nuts. And um, it was making me very upset. So I decided that I should like just channel channel my feelings into something productive. So it's a story. So I channeled my hate into something into doing a story about channeling your hate into something productive. So it's like just a, again multiple layers of productivity going on here. It's true. You're making me, like, hate more I
2: mean, a little bit. I, you know, I always thought it was a bad thing, but it's got a bad rap, honestly. Well,
0: you know, I, 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 you know, I it's, a, it's sort of a hate-positive story, which is probably not healthy, but I thought it was funny.
2: So you you wound up not killing this neighbor's dog because you wrote a story that you end up selling to other places and making some cash.
0: Exactly. Exactly.
2: Is that dog still around?
0: No,
3: but I think you got another one.
2: Oh, man. So what was the dog's ultimate fate? Never aspire
0: yeah i don't know um there there, there was a whole neighborhood saga going on for a while and then he disappeared for a while and then he came back and i started hearing a dog barking again so um i think he got another dog he got some dogs wonder if the the government took it see i don't know there might be there might be stories might actually be coming true in some place that i'm not aware of oh man that's some stephen king stuff right there Shut yeah. Up what was that? The, the dark half. Inbrid- yeah, inbrid- I think so. And then there's like the horror movie in the Mouth of Madness, which um is, is in my horror. Hmm.
3: So my neighbor's dog went on barking. I could hear it throwing itself against the fence in a fit, really angry. Now, the next morning, I was at the mall with the dawn. The hate kiosk didn't open for another hour I and a half.
0: Um, Stories that it has a mall in it. Yeah, and a kiosk yeah but i'm from, I'm from the midwest so i just think of there being like a mall available
2: just anywhere and,
0: yeah but although my um my mall the mall of my hometown growing up is now out of business it's a famous terrifying abandoned mall that you see photos of on the internet
2: post-apocalyptic kind of vibe oh
0: yeah it's pretty great that's awesome did you live in quebec before you came out here
2: Chances are
3: what the no, no. are going on- yeah, the midwest Oh wait, I thought the story was talking you
0: to me. and asked if I came from Quebec.
3: That's January awesome. Was probably emily jenkin She's <laughs> oh, a I grew up in Ohio. And Ohio in
0: pennsylvania uh, my family's from <laughs> Pittsburgh and then I grew up mostly in uh Ohio.
2: yeah it's the dog it state everybody knows Michigan. that <laughs> large parts of Mexico...
3: And they they dogs yeah, that's what we're famous
2: for. You know what I love about this story, too, is they you they never get to know, know the neighbor. I mean, it's just... Me. He's not even a part of it, really. It's the dog.
0: Not until the very end. The not neighbor's not... The a, yeah, the, the narrator doesn't hate the neighbor, just sure, the neighbor's dog. The
2: dog. The mm-hmm. Were you actually friends with your neighbor at the time?
0: They started me out not that guy. Other neighbors. Yeah, I mean, I'm friendly with most of my neighbors.
3: Once I proven myself capable of powering the entire Bay Area, P, G, E, and H...
0: Set up a Mexico being powered by two sisters who can't stand onions is based on the fact that I hate open. onions. <laughs> Do you have a sister? Mm-hmm. No, I have a brother who has no problem with onions, but,
2: you know. <laughs> That's, So you kind of, in your writing, you intersperse truths from your real life as often as possible. I mean, we had that story, too, whatever, uh, about the Lovecraft yeah. Commission, and I've I really felt that had some autobiographical pieces in it, too, about roommates and such. <laughs> that one's less autobiographical.
0: This one's, autobiographical. this one's extremely autobiographical. This is, I have several stories where I'm just writing right close to reality. Mm-hmm. And I want to just say that my favorite gag in the entire story that nobody cares about is that the... Um, Company that handles the odiometers is called PG&E and, and H, which is Pacific Gas and Electric and Hate.
2: <laughs> oh man, that is some obscure. Uh, <laughs> I love that about you that you you not only laugh at your own jokes, but you also like have favorite parts that nobody gets. Because I do the same thing sometimes too. I'm only,
0: I'm only amused by the parts nobody else cares about. Yeah. I feel like I have I feel like I have to stick up for the jokes that no one else
3: will care about. Stamped with a yellow rose and starburst. I didn't need to open the binder
2: to find out what was inside. I I don't know, the first that thing that the government or the uh, industry would do with hate is Epsilon exploit Aridani. it, you know, and ruin it all yeah. for everybody.
0: Well, see, now at this point in the story, they're, they're using it for space, travel, space travel, travel, which is positive.
2: Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. It, it is. It is yeah. And there, is there a specific mission? I guess it's just... Yeah,
0: it's to go to another star. It's the Epsilon Eridani mission, which is another, which is a star that has a planets around it, supposedly, but... The name I actually comes from the fact that I was obsessed with um, science fiction writer James Tiptree Jr. I still am. Yeah, Alice. Uh, I was yes, Alice Sheldon. I was collecting all of her work, and I was at the time having a lot of trouble finding this um, Star Trek fanzine called Eridani Triad that published a unproduced Star Trek treatment that she wrote. Actually, I'm still looking for that fanzine. Hmm. But I was, that was what I was sort of hung up on at the time, so that's what I named the mission after.
2: Uh, Shannon, that is my
0: favorite author, James Tiptree. I love. She's some money. way up there for me, and I have a New York collection of her work at this point. Yeah, what's your favorite story? Honestly, I mean, off the top of my head, I'm really amazed by the girl who was plugged in. It's just very, it's um, very strong and lively. It starts out with like enormous confidence, and I'm um, just immediately, I'm just amazed by it as a piece of work. It just as a piece of writing. There's other stories she did that are like a little more a little deeper than that, but um, that one's really grabby and I like that about her work.
2: Yeah, it feels like a good Black Mirror episode.
0: Yeah, well a lot of them do. And it's wow. and it is like a sort of proto cyberpunk story which is kind of fun. Yeah. And then some of her longer stories from later on are really amazing too. Just um really interesting writer. Mm-hmm.
2: On my first yeah, first how she NASA, died. Held in an yes,
0: in yes, South I'm very familiar. It's <laughs> been
2: like
0: kind of my dream for a long time to do, um, write a, a graphic novel biography of her, but the rights are a little complicated. Yeah,
2: that's why we've never done a story by her. And I could, I
3: could. My hatred of my neighbor's dog propelled their little <laughs> model star drives through the donut-shaped vacuum chamber they constructed on the ice rink, hitting light speed every time. At some yeah. point, there is a abandoned an ice rink we, in South Berkeley <laughs>
0: where they're doing the and tests 20 20 in this story. There was an across. ice rink like a few blocks away from me and it closed like <laughs> shortly after I moved here. It was very disappointing.
2: Oh, that is a bummer. Man, yeah. a, you live like in a Detroit kind of, or you lived in a Detroit kind of area with all this cool playground kind of of just emptiness and weeds growing everywhere, and ice rinks and malls. I was
0: in the home no, it's a, no, I'm in Berkeley. <laughs> oh, out.
2: that's different. That's that's
3: definitely different.
0: But It does have an abandoned ice
3: rink. Until I passed out from mm. sheer
0: exhaustion. I tend to like when it comes to naming things. I tend to either put way too much thought into it, or nothing, or no thought at all. I either spend hours, like, coming up with exactly the perfect reference for the name, or I just name it after a friend of mine.
2: <laughs> it's just kind of whatever comes to you.
0: Yeah, so on a lot of the stories, the characters are just named after my friends. Because hmm. one time, Shauna McGuire named a character in one of her stories after me, and I was very flattered, and then I thought, oh, people like it when you do that. So I started
2: like doing name, that. Like, full name? Or it was just Shannon, and then you kind of like... Oh,
0: no, she was... No, she named a character, a mad scientist like Dr. Garrity, which hmm. was great.
2: That's awesome. And in the remorseless sun, it
3: blazed. Its name was the Ganges, but no one ever called it anything but the ship. I met the crew. A lot of them said later that they expected me to be angrier people don't understand the first thing about hate <laughs> I, father,
2: I think nate was like great i mean he knew he was going to be able to read the story but the that, that line where he's talking room about room people don't recognize hate room. uh he's just so passive aggressive and nice sounding he sounds like same a nerdy guy bad bad bad. that would this would happen some to some you know
0: it does sound like a hate it does sound like a person who hates pretty well yeah
2: but doesn't do it in like an angry kind of alex jones way does it more of like a way that you just don't know until you're you know there's something awful happens to your dog
0: it's a, a professional difference.
3: hater Shades.
0: It I is, <laughs> somebody knows what the they're computer. doing
3: Looked out over the Texas airfield I shut my eyes and thought of my neighbor's dog
0: and Indiana. really is a scientist but Elena is not really a spaceship yeah. pilot, yeah. I'm sorry to say
3: Well she is in this world sto- In this world, world. yeah yes. As the engines purred to life and purred, and purred We're at 3% said Elena 3% of what? Ah, I'd never gotten the mechanics of spaceflight you gotta hate harder than that. <laughs> I'm hating as hard as I can. I can't hate any harder. Two percent, Yeah, give it all you got, that that Captain.
2: Dog. <laughs> can't it's hate any harder, dog. yeah. The barking
3: and the whining and throwing itself against the fence, and it's an ugly it's bastard. Does the dossier right. say
0: that?
2: Did your neighbor's dog actually it's throw dog. itself across the fence?
3: Oh yeah,
0: has a very angry dog. Man, it was really not the dog's fault. I think it was just not well treated and it was very bored in the backyard.
2: So but I was, you know, was like a good old interesting romp interesting of again. fence throwing never Texas, I fails yeah, to, tough. you the know, entertain.
3: I entertain. Yeah. I had my trouble hating the dog while I was in Houston. How much more trouble would I have when I was light years away from Earth? They tried workarounds. A NASA crew set up recording equipment in my backyard, taped hours of the dog barking, then played it back in the cockpit. It didn't work, and the pilots complained about the noise. The crew went back to the neighborhood and filmed the dog from over the fence that didn't do it for me either they set up a
2: man the irony of the is just not lost on me and, and probably everybody who's listened to this that the uh the key to you know building and doing great things is to he, he's he's getting farther and farther away from this dog which is probably his dream. and then they're trying yeah. to get it closer and closer to him and eventually they do you know uh so it's just totally catch-22 for the guy
0: yeah there's probably some very deep moral here about how uh, building your Building your life on hate is going to be self defeating.
2: Yeah, it's true. All our soapbox grandstanding and hand waving, and the ultimately, in the end, we're just going to dog is going to get closer and closer.
3: it <laughs> could I still
0: hate it. I wish I had that sort of thing, like these sort of themes planned in deliberately, but I was just coming, trying to come up with ridiculous situations for this dog hater
2: <laughs> you know it's funny because we've run so many stories uh most people like dogs you know like dogs tend to be like the one animal that dogs and cats of course yeah we've run so many stories that have like dogs as the protagonist or that are good guys or they're jerkers, old yeller kind of thing and this is the only one that we've ever had where the dog just vanishes you know it's just like <laughs> it's not like the most pro dog story of course
0: but... no it's like it's, it's it's like killing the dog is like sort of the the ultimate taboo in stories no <laughs> He likes to see a cute animal die so obviously I had to write this story that's just entirely built around killing a dog probably does not deserve it at all
2: yeah but it, somehow this story still almost won the People's Choice Awards and is highly celebrated so something happened right even though it is totally taboo
0: I'm pleased. <laughs> yeah,
2: you did it. You did
0: it. I'm glad people found it amusing. True. The saddest story that was ever written is the Last of the Winnebago's by Connie Willis, where all the dogs in the world die. That is, yeah,
2: I agree. That is a really, really sad, uh, it's an awesome apocalyptic story, too. Yes, I,
0: I cried at that story. Really? Of
1: course. I don't really hate dogs.
2: <laughs> there you go, folks. Shannon so Garrity does not hate dogs. Hate dog. Just this one.
0: Just this one. I just don't like animals that yell at me. Yeah,
2: who does, really?
3: That's right, said the military guy. That's the reaction we're looking for. The first guy leaned forward. Do we have your go-ahead? So this was it. A clumsy duct tape solution that could leave me and the rest of the crew, all of America's best and brightest, adrift in deep space with a litter of copies of my neighbor's dog. A plan.
2: Copies of get it. Get see, it. See, that's even it's not even getting closer to him. It's like there's more and more of okay, them. It's just it's exponentially good. creating Let's hate. At the dog.
0: Yeah. Theoretically, I mean, there's a lot of bad situations you can get into,
2: mm-hmm. but it's the first ideas that we come up with as like scientists and government officials. So let's copy this and keep it going. remember yeah. that space race against Russia, you know.
3: Somehow, NASA couldn't get a trace on where the crate containing my neighbor's dog had gotten stalled. Muhammad spent his days ranting at people over the phone again. Do you have any idea how many billions of dollars are riding on this dog? Yes, damn it! you should have put him on Air Force One if that was an option. We're grounded without the dog. Do you understand this? Only one hater can generate the power we need, and there's only one thing that hater hates. After these calls, he'd open a bottle of wine. He wasn't a very good Muslim. Look at me
2: more. <laughs> is they, there a person named Muhammad that this cats, is named after? Yes. Yeah. Hmm
3: can you get mad at a
2: cat? Is he, is he a decent Muslim? or?
0: Bundles of uh, yeah. I think you'd have to ask him that.
2: <laughs> okay.
3: We'll get but him on the next podcast. At long the strike ended. First thing next morning, a crate showed up on the airstrip right at the foot of the ship's silver hatch. A small crowd had gathered by the time I got out there. I pushed through. The crate smelled bad. Real bad. <laughs> oh. Muhammad
2: materialized. That's just you. Just milked that.
0: Killed mean, <laughs> you your neighbor's dog. No, I said. Uh, I, I feel really terrible laughing at my own sp- stuff, children and children particularly children laughing at the, the thing where I killed that. a dog.
2: Yeah. Uh, well, you could have got more graphic than that.
0: Like the more horrible I get, the funnier it fact, is for say, me. <laughs>
2: People don't understand hate at all.
0: And you're right. It could have more, no, it could have been more graphic, I but you're right. Reaction. I think it is better that you never see the dog. epsilon yeah.
2: program. I was actually I was the first time I ever listened to, to read the story. I was expecting the dog to come in back in, in, in the science. end. <laughs> I slouched around the house. In my <laughs> and you're like, but so then I then I got to know you a little time. better, and I was like, no, she would never do the other side of the fence. She wants us to just wallow in that suffering for a while.
3: Two months. So
0: sad though. Even the dog hater cries.
2: Yeah. Done moping yet? Said Muhammad what the hell are you talking
3: about? Go to the airport. SFO. There's a flight waiting. No time to waste. The Epsilon program's dead, I frowned. Isn't it? Shows what you know. Ship leaves next week, but only if you're on it. But I can't hate anymore. All will become clear. Same town car, same gray suit guy, same ship. The crew was in a party mood. Elena slapped me on the back. Come on," she said. "We're finally making that test run. And at tomorrow's.
2: this point, everyone's wondering, like, oh, what's this? Is like the build-up Might for the tried to the reveal at the end? Oh,
3: okay, yeah, I'll go up to the.
0: Clock. This right. is one those probable no situations lead. in no fiction lead. where they just she don't explain away. something to a character for no good reason, just, just as to as create tension.
2: Yeah, just to piss That's the listeners and readers point. off a little bit, you know, or this to get them excited about what's going to happen next.
3: Shot like a silver bullet into the black, I watched Earth shrink to a marble, then disappear through the view screens lining every corridor. Baffled, I accepted a glass of champagne, then another. At last, I gave up and staggered to my quarters. The, the little apartment was exactly as I
2: left it. Drinking in space would totally be a thing if you ran a space program, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it it seems
0: to be space, a pretty a comfortable director. spaceship. And yes, I, I mean, I would have a lot of drinking in my space program. But yeah, this seems like a pretty comfortable spaceship, all things Somewhere considered. Yeah.
3: Explain this miracle. As it happened, I left my quarters at the same moment the person next door was entering his. He turned and stared at me. Rangy guy, scraggly beard, little piggy eyes, T-shirt with an up arrow labeled the man and a down arrow labeled the legend.
2: Oh, is that a shirt? Is that a real shirt somewhere?
0: Yeah, yeah. I feel like that was too on the nose. I probably shouldn't have done it, but I just love that shirt. Oh, that's
2: hilarious. I just want that shirt now. The legend. It could be a tattoo. That would be awful.
0: That would be a painful... Actually, that would be a great tattoo.
2: Yeah. You, he said. Well, there you go. His dog.
3: And here we are, exactly twelve and a half years into the mission, speeding toward Epsilon Eridani on my neighbor's hatred of me. I still say I could match him in hate, pound for pound, in my hating days, but I'm long retired now. And I'd like to apologize for killing his dog, but you know I can't do that without putting the crew in jeopardy. <laughs> It'd be a disaster if you ever stopped hating me, wouldn't it, Leonard? And now those alien worlds are marbles in the viewscreen growing bigger. Let's open another bottle of champagne.
2: Oh, glorious. So if you think about it, it's actually even more meta. Your real-life hatred inspired a story about somebody else's hatred making a yes. spaceship that inspired a neighbor's hatred that kept the spaceship going.
0: Yeah, I just spread the hate everywhere.
2: It's great. It is awesome. What is and, what is your current hate, like the thing that would power a spaceship right now?
0: Um, I, let's see. Well, I mean, I established in the story that political hatred is too hard to chance. chance. That's useless. So I, I don't know if I hate anything right now. What are we going to do? I'm Well, I don't know. Because PG&H needs, needs an endless supply of hatred. <laughs> but I'm pretty chill right now, all things considered.
2: Well, here's a, here's a fun thing we haven't done before. We could reach out. Just as a follow-up to this episode, our fans and everybody listening on Facebook and Twitter can reach out and say what their current hatred <laughs> would be, and then that'll be that'll make us look cool, like we're engaging our audience okay. and everything, and maybe it'll also keep the world spinning a little longer.
0: I'm glad it inspired such an incredibly negative <laughs> interaction. <laughs> Who knows where this could take us? It's exciting. That's I need also... to write positive stories.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I've loved every story you've submitted to us, and I know you have a certain type of um, uh, comedic. Voice, I think that uh, really aligns with both my personal one and GrappleCast Cast in general. But uh, in terms of comedy and stuff, uh, where do you, how do you, how do you approach comedy? Like, do you have any kind of insights or anything into your viewpoints on what makes good comedy?
0: Oh, absolutely not. But thank you very much. Um, I started doing humor when I was a kid, just because I found it easier to have people laugh at me than just sort of stare at me, and it's sort of gone on like that. It works. Since- <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I think, um, I feel like the, like, uh, comedy and like science fiction and probably genre fiction in general, is kind of hard to do well. So I'm constantly trying to be better at it. There aren't really actually a lot of comedy, like sci-fi or fantasy writers. I really like, except for Terry Pratchett, who's obviously the best.
2: Yes. I mean, I totally agree too. I'm always keeping my eye out for something that actually makes me have a belly laugh. That's in the genre speculative world. <clears throat> it's tough.
0: Well, of course, Connie Willis always writes that she's good at writing funny stories. There's Esther Friesner writes good funny stories, mm-hmm. but it, it's kind of hard to master. It's it's kind of it's um, kind of easy to write bad humorous sci-fi or fantasy.
2: Yeah, your uh, kind but, of thing maybe is that uh, at least from what I've seen and thinking about the stories we've run like two whatever. You know, sci-fi and fantasy are always about these big picture things out there and uh, really, like, we're trying to get away from the real world, whereas the, <laughs> your comedic piece is always about what's happening, like, really to us. It's like a Louis C.K. kind of stand-up thing where it's funny because it's true, you know?
0: Yeah, comedy tends to be small and human and specific, although, then again, I grew up reading the Hitchhiker books by Douglas Adams, which are my, my absolute favorites. And they tend that's, that's like, big cosmic humor, which is true. really rare. But, uh, yeah, um. And I like and I like small specific science fiction stories. I mean, I grew up around the '90s, and that was a period when people were doing like sort of these very human, again, like Connie Willis, for example, these very human individual sci-fi stories dealing with like how ordinary people would function in um, unusual situations. And that's still a touchstone for a lot of my writing. I like to write about characters and very small specific things.
2: Yeah. I can see that. Do you have a favorite short story that you've written?
0: That I've written uh, what have I written? The do- I let me think. That's a good and also terrifying question. <laughs> Sorry. Hopefully, hopefully something I wrote recently cuz I like to hope I'm getting better at writing. Um but I, I wrote a story recently. Um oh no actually a couple years ago now called Demon Clown Diary that I'm very fond of. Demon Clown di- Where where can we read this? Um it's in the it's in the Sock de lager. It's online. Wow. And it's just the, yeah, it's just the journal of like an evil clown. I like that one a lot. I like to whatever a lot. And um, oh, the first story I published was um, a story called the all night's truck stop polka band, which I still enjoy a lot.
2: <laughs> Is that and, pretty much what it sounds like on the tin?
0: Um, it's got an all night truck stop. It's got a band in it that's called the all night truck stop polka band. And it's another very autobiographical story. Oh, and I wrote one called *Librarians in the French Library of Babel* that I like and seems to be still popular. Hmm. Oh, and *Punk Voyager*. I like. Okay, I like most of my stories. I admit it. <laughs> as, long as, writing, as long as I'm writing funny stuff, I can sort of stand uh, stand it. I'm always kind of embarrassed listening to or reading my stories, but uh, if it's funny, I can take it.
2: Yeah, it's. I guess that's the thing with comedy too—is like being able to laugh at yourself.
0: Yeah, *Punk Voyager* was incredibly hard to sell because it's got cursing in it. It's got nonstop cursing. It, I had like the fastest. That's it's on Escape Pod. I ended up having the I had the fastest rejections on that one for like any other story oh, I did. I remember that now. Yeah, yep. I was over there at
2: that point. Oh, that one was great. I, I man, yeah, absolutely. I would definitely encourage people to check that out because it got. I mean, especially if you don't like cursing, because <laughs> <laughs> then we could we could power the world with your hate. But uh, yeah. it was very controversial in that fact. But I, of course, I'm gonna <laughs> I green lighted that right away and sent that up. It was wonderful.
0: <laughs> well, they did like you did like a non cursing podcast of it Oh I mean the podcast has the cursing and the printed version has, has cursing censored out
2: yeah you can't win every battle but uh but
0: it's, it's a punk story
2: yeah originally it's we were gonna put beeps in it and it was just like too much <laughs> it
0: would have yeah, been like a beep pretty- track I do make things difficult for myself. And I've got i st- I've got a couple stories coming the stories that I have coming out I like a lot. I wrote one and this is another one I had trouble getting published and I really like it, but it's coming out soon. Um, it's a story where it's not a humorous story, or it's not very it's not very funny. Um, and it's um basically um, about Beatrix Potter as a mad scientist.
2: <laughs> <That> is, yeah.
0: <laughs> and I'm very interested in Beatrix Potter. She was a scientist. Um she was very interested in science. Um,
2: but not a mad one.
0: Possibly not. Hmm. So, hmm. But, uh, you know, when she was a teenager, she was um, very into natural science, and um, she, she published a paper correctly um, identifying what lichens are, hmm. which nobody paid attention to, unfortunately, even though she was right. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm actually really fascinated by Beatrix Potter, so I read her, her teenage diaries, which were written in code.
2: Oh, of course, <laughs> yeah franken rabbits walking around and things like that
0: more or less yeah
2: oh way back to tip tree we never we totally left a um open hanging thing there about how she died
0: uh, oh no! Well, I don't want to talk about it. It's very sad.
2: Yeah, well, it's it's something people should check out because I think like her legacy is, is big. So we'll just keep that cliffhanger going. But I definitely wanted to point out that she's got quite a rich personal history as far as uh, you know, pretending that she was a man as a pen name um, and just all you know, CIA agent kind of stuff and her stories. I mean, there there should be and probably will be a movie about her at some point because she's a fascinating person. Her life story
0: is unbelievable. Unbelievable. And that's how I want- that's why i'd like to write the graphic novel of it
2: oh my gosh let's do a kickstarter it would be pretty cool he's getting the like rights though
0: yeah the rights issues are a little complicated but i mean not only for her own work but also for the biographical materials mm-hmm. but uh yeah i am fascinated by her and her life
2: cool shannon well that's uh that's been awesome talking to you this is a lot of fun oh my gosh, it's will... yeah it's been great uh I'm going to go check out your story about the, the, the demon clown diary at this point, because I can't stop thinking about it. And, uh, I don't know. Has that been done in audio before?
0: Uh, no, I don't think so.
2: Cool. Anything that's not done in audio, send it our right way, girl.
0: Oh yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah. Happy to happy to read it, but, uh, and we'll have you on the podcast soon again. I'm sure. Oh, I would love to. Cool. Cool. I'll, I'll talk to you soon.
0: All right. Thank you so much.
2: You too. Bye bye.